Amen. Let's pray together. You know, I think we need to pray for our nation, for the churches of our nation, until revival comes, for hearts that are tender towards God and tender towards God's Word, hearts that uh, embrace, embrace truth, for hearts to love our neighbors, regardless of who they are or what they look like. If you're able to bow your knee, would you? Can we as a church? And if you can't, or if it's difficult, then would you just sit in your chair? And let's humble ourselves. No outward sign of humility can make up for an inner hardened heart. But in an outward sign, that agrees with an inward heart and we cry out to the Lord God will answer He will hear us Oh Father we come to you this morning in the powerful name of Jesus and Lord we have no platform to stand in your presence of our own, of our own working, of our own doing. None of our good works, none of our charity, none of our love for people, none of the things that we've done give us a place to stand before you. But the thing your son did on the cross by shedding his blood opened a door through which we can come freely to you. And we stand or we bow we sit this morning standing upon the Word of God and the blood of Jesus to come before you. And God, we confess that we are sinful people in need of a Savior in this country. We confess that hatred is wrong, that murder is wrong, that hard hearts is wrong and racism is wrong. That killing cops is wrong. God, we're in a nation that is desperately in need of you. There is no answer outside of Jesus. Lawlessness seems to abound. And we ask you, O oh God, that you'd stretch your hand out upon this nation and that you would turn our hearts back to you. We ask that you would stretch your hand out to churches. We've lost the glory of God in our churches, in our Baptists. We've lost your glory. We've lost more churches than we can gain back except that you show up. And we're asking you to show up and send revival in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our pride and our arrogance, in spite of looking like and acting like and talking like and spending our lives trying to be like the world instead of like Jesus. Lord, we ask you forgive us of our sins and that you give us right hearts and right spirits and you restore your church into a right mind and a right spirit. And we ask you, O oh God, that you would shield us and keep our eyes upon Jesus. 
meet with us this morning. Thank you for the privilege of being able to come into this building, Lord. We don't worship the building. We worship you. But thank you for giving us this. And we ask you this morning that you would pass, cause this curse of virus to pass away. And let your people gather again and refresh our hearts and renew our spirits, not to just enjoy our fellowship with you, but the Lord to be people who are, who are people who seek the kingdom of God and your righteousness above all else. Lord Jesus, speak into our hearts through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In light of all the events of the last few weeks in America, I want to speak this morning and share some scriptures with you that I think we as a God's people need to hear, to understand, perhaps individually, perhaps corporately. We need to repent. Some scriptural guidance in light of the polarization of America and all that we hear about racism. I, I don't mean that I don't care what the world does. I do care. We live in the world. We live in the world. We, we carry out our lives in the world and that's important. But I care so much more about what God's people do. Because we have a different spirit. If we belong to Jesus, Jesus has put His Holy Spirit in us. That's what makes us His. When the Holy Spirit comes and merges, when we repent of sin and accept Christ as our Savior, a new being is conceived spiritually. As His Spirit merges into our spirit, and God gives us, in essence, He gives us some of His DNA and we, He writes His laws in our mind and on our hearts and we have no excuse for not living in a way that honors Jesus. And then He gives us His Word. The Word is not a replacement for the Holy Spirit. The Word is not to be worshipped and given the priority in our lives that belongs only to God, but it is a tool of God, and it does not a disagree with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved people to write the truth of God that He wanted us to know. Is that all the truth there is? God is so infinitely greater than we can comprehend or understand. But everything that we need to know about God in order to live our lives, is in the Word of God. And so I want us to look at a few scriptures. I really want you to write these down. <clears throat> and I don't want this morning to be the only time you look at that these this week. Okay? I'm hearing... I'm hearing, and you're hearing if you watch anything on the news... Black Lives Matter, and I want to say amen, every black 
life matters. I saw the police officer, in essence, kill a man. In spite of the man's repeated asking, take the neck, take it, please let me breathe. I read reports and see places where folks in retaliation for that riot and loot and burn stores and lawlessness and anarchy seeks to assert itself. And I wonder if the church of Jesus Christ had not been silent about the things that rub against our own lives for all these years, if things might not be different in America. I wonder if while we have enjoyed gathering and feeling good as we Seeing and as we pray and as we build and we do mission trips in other places and as we do good works and feel good about that, I wonder if we had not neglected evangelism of the lost, regardless of who they are or what they look like or what color they are, what ethnicity they are, or whether they're murderers or little children. If we hadn't neglected that, maybe a culture would be different. And I wonder what God might do in my life and in your life and through us. We're not a huge church, but we're God's. We can't save the whole world, but we can do our part. And so I want to share these scriptures with you. The first scripture I want to share with you, and I'm reading from the new, um, I mean from the good news Uh, Testament, New Testament, the Good News Bible, rather, Good News Translation, GNT, if you want to look it up. Some of you have your iPhones or your iPads, you can look this up. We may have to put up the equivalent of New Living on the screen because we don't have the the GNT, but we're going to find a way to get it. Micah in the Old Testament, Chapter 6, verse 6. Michael lived, listen, Michael lived in a time of moral compromise. Michael lived in a time where the law had escaped and lawlessness prevailed. Michael lived in a time where the rich seized the properties of the poor and then sought to validate it through religious experiences. He even, he even talked about how he uses some very graphic language. And he talks about how you've chopped up my people, how you've murdered them and chopped their bones up and, and boiled them and consumed them. So, so what, is, what we see on the news is not new to the world. Sin has been here since the garden, the serpent in the garden. I should have been warned about serpents in the garden, shouldn't I? I should have been a little more alert. All right, look at Micah 6, verse 6. What shall I bring to the Lord? God is trying to correct Israel, and he's saying, if you'll come back to me, if you'll come to me, if you'll quit following these 
pagan gods, if you'll quit following wealth, and if you'll quit cheating people and misusing people and abusing people, and you'll come back with a sincere heart, I will be like a morning dew, and a morning dew is life in a desert. Not much rain comes out of the sky, but if there's no morning dew, there's no life. And he says, I will be like a refreshing morning dew to you. I'll restore you, I'll, I'll renew you, and I'll help you to conquer those enemies that are ravaging you inside and out, only if you'll return to me. And so Micah asked the question, what shall I bring to the Lord, the God of heaven, when I come to worship him? Now remember, he's in a context that worship equated, uh, <clears throat> ritual, worship rituals involved sacrifice, bringing a, a lamb, bringing wheat. Uh, bringing uh, some offering to God that had life and the shedding of the blood reminded them of that blood had to be shed for the atonement of our sins. There is, no, there is no atonement without the shedding of blood. And of course, what God was doing was giving them a picture to point them ahead to the time when Jesus Christ, His Son, would shed His blood. So he asked the question, what shall I bring to the Lord, the God of heaven, when I come to worship him? <clears throat> shall I bring the best calves to burn as offerings to him? Will the Lord be pleased if I bring him thousands of sheep and endless streams of olive oil? Shall I offer him my firstborn child to pay for my sins? We think child sacrifice is something that's relegated to the distant past, but it is not. It happens in America. And I am talking about religious, satanic rituals. It happens now. But there's another way that we sacrifice children in America. We sacrifice children through abortion so that we can have our own pleasures and not have to raise children so that we can have bigger houses more freedom more liberty we sacrifice babies and there's another way where babies are not actually killed but we sacrifice them we sacrifice them by bringing them into the world and then not being a father or not being a mother by leaving the television to raise them or the video games or the neighbors or the grandparents. And we wonder why in a culture like ours we have what seems to be recurring small drips of judgment upon America. I tell you, if, if the kinds of floods we've had and if the hurricanes we've had and the terrorism we've had and all the events that have happened, the drought throughout the country, if all that had happened 200 years ago, Americans would have repented because they still had a worldview that included God. But we've rejected God from our worldview as a nation and as a people. Micah says... What can I bring to God that will satisfy his judgments against me? Should I do 
more sacrifices. In other words, should we have more singing, more preaching, take up more offerings, do more religious activities? Religious activities are not wrong in themselves, are they? No. Neither are they a substitute for a heart after God. What shall I bring? So uh, equate that to today. Should, should I bring, man, I love the singing. I love the singing, the worship. Maybe I can gather 60 or 80,000 people and we can just worship God and praise His name and lift Him up. And I'm not saying that is wrong. But I'm saying that is not what God desires first. And it is not what we must recover. It should be the fruit of the root that we have to recover. And that's what Micah says here. He has shown you. Verse 8. No the Lord has told us what is good. Interesting that word tom in Hebrew, what is good? What is the acceptable? What is it that God desires? What is good in the eyes of God? Because what's good in the eyes of man and what's good in the eyes of God are not always the same. And we read situations based upon what we want and what we think, and what we think is good. And we can be misinformed if we do not, if we do not consider what God says is good. We can call things blessings that are really curses. If we don't understand what God says is good. Verse 8, the Lord has told us what is good. What he requires of us is this, to do what is just, to do what is right, to love justice, to do justice. To show constant love. There's that word kesed again. Can you say that Hebrew word with me? And you can tell people I speak Hebrew. My pastor taught me how to speak Hebrew. Kesed. Kesed. It's hard to translate. See, this translates it to constant love. New Living translates it to love mercy. It is covenant-keeping love. To love the kind of righteousness that, that God expresses towards His people when God is faithful to do what He said He would do according to the standard He set in a covenant. To do what is right according to God. You say you love God? I say I love God? Well, how do we know that? Because we, we live in the light of what His Word and His Son and His Spirit teaches is right in His eyes that His covenant has made. 
The Bible is, our Bible, your Bible, has two covenants. Does anyone know what those two are? Everyone knows what those two are, don't they? Because the word testament is actually covenant. The old covenant that involves sacrifices, offering, temple worship, that involved not just, not just the Ten Commands. You talk about, man, I want people to keep the Old Testament law. You don't know what you're talking about, probably. It involved thousands of kinds of sacrifices and detailed plans about almost every experience of life. And God summed it up that that covenant was made with us to teach us that we're sinners and we don't keep the covenant. And to know the need of a Savior. The law is to help us know the need of a Savior. The need of mercy. You know, I've heard people say, we need to go back to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And while I sympathize and empathize with the desire that justice be administrated effectively, I don't want to go back to that. Do you understand what an eye for an eye means? It is a limitation. It actually is a mercy from practice. An eye for an eye is mercy because the way most human beings are built, if you take my eye, I take your head. It's a limitation. It is a just matter. And strict justice, not one of us in this room want to stand before God in strict justice, do we? Not if you know you're a sinner. And if you don't know you're a sinner, watch out. God will show you. To love, to do what is right in the eyes of God. Politicians too often hold their finger up and see which way the political wind is blowing or which way my party is telling me to go or which way my parents are doing or what way my, this person does. What my pastor says, in fact, can be misleading. But to commit ourselves from the inside out to live by what we understand and to seek to know in daily application what is right in God's eyes. Years ago, I bought some land, and a young guy was helping me. And uh, I've told this story before, but not very often. <clears throat> if I've told it a hundred times, I could just say I bought some land. You'd know the story. We could move on, right? We bought some land, and I was setting up a fence row according to the survey and the old fence row had been there for 100 years it was 10 some places 15 feet off the line surveyed out and off the corners because I guess people just went by sight when they put the row, fence row and the young man said to me why are you going through all this trouble why don't you just go by the old fence row I mean, the law would, have, would allow you to do that because that's the standard. Nobody will ever know the difference. And I said, yes, they would. Number one, 
I would know. And number two, my God would know. Of all the things that I learned from my dad in early life and all the things that you and I fathers need to pass on to our sons and our grandsons and even our great-grandchildren is to do what is right in the eyes of God. To do justice. And, and folk, I want to say unequivocally that I find no way through scriptural teachings to say that anything that happened on that day that is on the film of an officer arresting a man, even if he was guilty of a $200 theft or whatever it was, even if he were drugged out, even if he was drunk, but to arrest a man, handcuff him, put him on the ground, put your knee on his neck, and keep him in that position for hours until he suffocated is not right in the eyes of God. I'll tell you what else is not right in the eyes of God. It's not right now as a God to see it happening and give silent consent to it by not trying to do something to stop it. Now I want to say another thing. Regardless of what's been happened in your life or anybody else's life, it is not right to retaliate against injustice by killing the innocent. One bad police officer does not make all police officers bad. One bad black person does not make all black people bad. One bad white person does not make all white people bad. To do what is right in the eyes of God. Do you know why justice in America is symbolized by the blindfolded scales? Because in God's eyes... God hates scales that are dishonest. If you read Micah and you read that whole chapter, he talks about dishonest scales, about cheating people by making this scale. A scale was used before we had digital stuff. A scale was used, a balance bar, and they had it marked out so that if you put weight here and this was heavier than the, the counter, it would go like this, okay? And so you, the way that you find out what, something weighs is a mark on that they figured out. I don't know how they do all that. I just use them. I don't know how they figured out the cell phone. I just use it. And it talks about dishonest scales, false scales, scales that are predetermined to be heavier than they should so that you pay people less than their product is worth. It is the same principle when it comes to evaluating the worth and value of people. James said something about that. James said that if a person comes into your assembly when you gather, and you say to this one, a poor person comes in, and you say, oh, you can't sit up there. No, 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 you come sit back here. And a wealthy person comes in, and you say, hey, come on in, Senator. Come on in, Congressman. Come on in, Mr. So-and-so. Sit right here in this seat. That you, You're important. You need to be here. When we make distinctions upon the base, upon the worth of people based upon outward characteristics, whether they're rich or poor, black or white, 
Indian, Mexican, or any other characteristic that is external. James says our hearts are wrong because we're doing it from wrong motives. It's not right in the eyes of God. He's told you what is good, what he requires of you, what is right, justice. To love mercy, to love covenant-keeping mercy. Bob Harrington used to tell the story of he'd been ministering to a mafia figure figure in New Orleans. I don't know that it was. I, I assume it was Carlos Marcellos. I don't know that. He was, Carlos Marcello was reputed to have accepted Christ before his death. And I know that Bob Harrington shared the gospel with him. And this man went to court. And when he was going into the court, he called Brother Bob and said, please pray for me. They met him on the court steps and he said, well, how do you want me to pray? Do you want me to pray for justice or mercy? He said, mercy, preacher. I need mercy. Do you ever find yourself like that? I do. I find myself saying, God, I don't want justice in my life. I want mercy. When you treat me, when you deal with me, I want your mercy. God is a merciful God. God is a just God. And then the third thing it says is to walk humbly with your God. When we walk humbly with God, to be humble means to be transparent. To be humble means to see things rightly. To be humble means to have a right understanding of who we are in comparison with God and to live in that and and not live out of a sense that we derive from our earthly status. To walk humbly with God means to walk with God in a way that there's no barrier of pride in my life that hinders God's work in me. And I'll preach this sermon another time, but, but pride has many, many fruits. Most people think of pride as an arrogance that says, I can do anything. I'm self-contained. Well, that certainly is one form of pride. But let me tell you what else is pride. When you're so focused on yourself that you say, I'm just no good. I can't do anything. I, God could never use me to witness to nobody. I'm just too scared. Not a, I, what are you doing? You're saying that your fear is bigger than God? That's not humility. That's false humility. Humility is walking in a clear relationship with God that's not clouded. Understanding our dependence upon Him. And yet being fearless in his work in us. Having my life informed by my relationship with him, not by my human status. Oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right. To love mercy. To walk humbly with your God. David understood that. If you read the 51st Psalm, write that down. Psalm 51. David had been a man after God's very own heart. David had been chosen by God because not what he looked like on the outside, but because of what he looked like on the inside. And yet David, in his arrogance and pride, somewhere in there, began to walk 
listening to what people said rather than what's right in the eyes of God. And David set out lusting. He was on a building looking at Bathsheba bathing, and he began to lust. Listen, fellas, women, lust is not just a one-way street, but men are the only culprits. To, to have a bird fly over your head and look at that bird is one thing, but let him build a nest in your hair is something totally different. It wasn't the first look, it was the second, and the lingering. And as a result, David began to be informed in his decisions by what his eyes told him and what the pride of his heart told him. Sounds like what happened in the garden, doesn't it? Oh, this is good. Has God really said that? And then we begin to twist God. And Psalm 51 tells us of how God brought David to a place of brokenness after he committed murder and after he committed adultery, after he lied, and God began to restore him. I want you to hear me. Psalm 51 says, down about verse 17, 18, it says, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a crushed, contrite spirit. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. And then I'll be able to minister freely. Then I'll have joy in my heart. Then sinners will be convicted and brought to Christ. <clears throat> a repentant heart is a crushed heart, literally. Brokenness. I want to ask you the question. Does what you see on television cause you to want to retaliate? Does it cause you to be polarized? Does it cause you to want to stand and say, all, all white folks are not killers and all black folks are not cop killers? Our primary frame of reference ought to be God. And I want you to hear this clearly. When we have our frame of reference from God, He brings us, all of God's work in us when we sin is to bring us to repentance. Now listen, if God's convicting me of racism as a sin in my life, and I say, oh God, forgive me for, for, uh, forgive me for, for not going to church, have I got right with God? No. I was a little kid. I would go to town with my dad in Alabama on one occasion. We didn't go very often, but I went with him on one occasion. and had to go to the courthouse to get some license or titles or something, land transfer. I don't know. I must have been four years old. And he said, come on, son, we're going to walk across the street. And uh, we're going to walk. I said, what are we going to eat? That's, my wife says, that's all I ask. What are we going to eat? We walked down to the city cafe and walked in. There was a sign that says white entrance and coloreds, and it pointed down there. And there was a, there was a, a water fountain that said whites only, coloreds downstairs. <clears throat> and I said, Dad, why? He said, son, in our society, people, everybody has a place, and people just have to stay in their place. 
I want you to understand God's made a place for every race, for every color, for every kind. And it's not separated. We're separated because of the COVID a little bit. But in eternity, if you can't love, if you cannot love a black person on earth, or a black person cannot love a white person on earth, don't think you're going to love them in heaven. This is our proving ground. When I was a little older, I was in church one Sunday, and I, there were agitators then, paid people coming into community, stirring stuff up. And I remember seeing two of the older deacons, and I was probably seven years old at this little church, two of the older deacons. And one of them said, you got yours? And the other one said, yeah, I got mine. He said, me too. He said, them aren't coming in here today. Now, I was seven years old, but I've been taught by my parents and by preachers to seek to do what honors God. And deep in the heart of my soul, I knew that didn't honor God. People are not bad because of what they look like on the outside. People are bad because of the choices they make on the inside. And Jesus came to save bad people like me and you. I was in college. Had a friend from Nigeria, Chinyeri Omnubiko. Chinyeri was a guy who challenged me at almost every level. Not verbally, but by his practice. No one had seen him in three days. And they said, yeah, somebody's got to go in that room and check on him. Well, I'm the Marshall Dillon on the hall, so you know, what, you know why nobody had seen him? Because he'd been in his room fasting and praying for three days. While we were all playing, he was praying. And Chinyeri is probably the most uh, in tune person I've ever known, in tune with Christ. And yet he came to a church where I preached one Sunday, occasionally I preached, and he was asked to leave because he had black skin. The same church sent money regularly to Nigeria through the mission offerings of Southern Baptists. I thank God, I want to say this, I thank God that Zion Hill is not that church. Amen? I thank God that Zion Hill wants to do what is right in the eyes of God. And that we look at people, not based on whether they're rich or poor, whether they're black or white, or whether they're Indian or Mexican. Racism is all over the earth, by the way. I worked in the Arctic, and racism was there between the Indians, Clinkin Indians, and the Eskimos, Native Americans. Racism in Africa between between the different tribal groups. But Christians, we're called to a different standard. We're called to be people who are peacemakers, people who are righteous in God's eyes and who do what's right in God's eyes. And I thank God that that's who we are. First John says, if you cannot love your brother here on earth that you see, how can you love God? whom you've not seen. Now, I do believe it's time for you and I 
as Christians who happen to be mostly of us white-ish. And that's varying levels. Some of y'all just real white. I'm just real white on both sides right here. Who happen to be white, it is time, I believe, for us to say in every chance we can, murder is wrong no matter where it occurs. And people, no matter who they are, are valuable in God's eyes. And as a society, let's do what is just in God's eyes. And let's pun- let the government punish evildoers. And let the church seek to share the gospel that transforms lives. Think about, think about what we say and think about how we act and think about what's right in God's eyes. And when you hear people interjecting, praise, praise the Lord that he has chosen out of every nation people not based at all. The cross is, the ground is level at the cross. No rich person is elevated, no poor person no ethnicity is elevated and when we get to heaven we'll be around a throne that sings worthy not like that little little kids that used to sing on the bus Jesus loves the little children I heard this I'm, I'm telling you I heard all oh, the children of the world red and yellow especially white now they were trying to be funny but it wasn't funny because that's the program that's going in there. And what I'm saying to you today is no matter what your mom and daddy taught you, no matter what some preacher taught you, this book, this book declares that Jesus came and made one new race of people, Christ followers. There's neither black nor white, Ethiopian, African-American, Christ followers, our new standard. Let's pray together. Our worship team is going to come and sing. I'm still, I'm not going to be at the front just because of the COVID. And by the way, the COVID is, is escalating in light of the protest. And everybody has a right to protest if they protest peacefully. In America, they do. Thank God we're in America because the other countries just line you up and shoot you when you protest. I expect a strong backlash on a, a kickback on the virus. But God calls us to do business with himself. And there was a time in my life I was taught from various circles to judge people on their color when I was a kid. But Jesus, when he saved me, taught me different. If you need to do business with God this morning, please do. If you need to accept Christ as your Savior, please do. Let's stand, and I'm going to lead us in prayer. And whatever invitation we have is for us to respond to God's Word and to the desire of Jesus to draw us to himself, to the cross where our sins can be forgiven.
I ask you to call me, contact me, fill out a yellow card with a decision, get it to me, and we will talk on the phone, or Brother Dave will talk on the phone. One of us will contact you to talk to you and pray with you about whatever decision God is calling you to make. Respond to the Lord and react in that way. Communicate it. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, you didn't just come to save Jews, but you came to save Gentiles. Thank you that you didn't come to just save the, the, the wealthy or the affluent, but you reached down in East Alabama and found a poor person like me and saved us. Thank you that your grace is free and your mercy is full. And I pray, O oh God, that you would let the words of our mouths and the meditations in our heart be acceptable in your sight. And in places where they're not, speak to us so we can know and give us a heart to live for you. And Lord, we ask you in the name of Jesus to make this building and this church group, make it a place of revival where people from every tongue and every nation and every tribe would come to know Christ and bring peace in this land. In Jesus' name, amen. After we sing, this will be our benediction. I want to remind you, share your commitment on a card. Call me, call Brother Dave, or we will respond to the card or send us a text or an email. Stand together. We're going to sing this as a benediction. The offering plates, I'm assuming, are by the door out the front. If you have questions, uh, feel free to ask those. I love you. I'm so, I'm so grateful for who you are. This church has a long history, a long history of being a church. It's not about race, but about Christ. And I'm grateful to be a part of this church. Let's sing together. Thank you so much. Romans says, do not be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. Go and represent Jesus in the world of evil 
by doing good to all people. Bless you. You're dismissed.